This is where normal comes to die. Mediocrity meets its final demise, and the status quo is unabashedly dismantled. Welcome to Reinvention Radio. Now, here's your host, Steve Olsher. All righty, welcome to another edition here of Reinvention Radio. Steve Olsher hanging out with the lovely Mary Goulet. Hello. Richie Ote, what's up, my brother? How you doing? Excellent. How about so? Good, good. White White's got it under control in the studio. Kelly's got it under control back at headquarters. And we are hanging out here in lovely San Diego. Back in the saddle again. Feels like it's been forever. Well, we're all very busy. Yeah, well, and we had the New Media new Summit. New Media Summit, yes. That was so awesome. We had the New Media Summit, which was for sure awesome. We changed... Changed everything up. It was um, it was our fifth new media summit, and we changed everything up. And I got to tell you, I, I think you know there were there were some hiccups. Ran a little long. I have a tendency to run a little bit long. I think we ran a little bit long on uh, on a couple of sessions there. Uh, but just changing things up in terms of giving the attendees the opportunity to pick their music, giving them the opportunity to take center stage, getting everybody up out of their seats, making a that a was lot great. Of noise and that was and, great. And yeah, and we had the big boom camera there to capture the footage, and man, just it looks amazing. It sounds amazing. The energy was really, really great uh, over over the entire three days. So really, really, really happy that so many of you came out to join us at the New Media Summit in San Diego. And we actually are joined in studio today, and it's really great to have you here, ma'am, Justin Womack hanging out with us. And so, Justin, uh, before we get into a whole bunch of stuff, and actually, why don't we do this? Let's, let's give you the opportunity to introduce yourself properly, and then we'll jump into things. So why did you attain, uh, attend the New Media Summit? Because I know you wanted to get uh, drive folks to your business, to your podcast, and so on and so forth. So I think a lot of this will be intertwined here. But uh, give folks a sense of, um, of generally what you do now. We'll go backwards here in a minute in terms of how you reinvented your life. And we'll be talking about marketing, psychology, and so on. Uh, but just give us a sense of what you're doing right now in terms of your your business. Yeah. Well, first and foremost, uh, my name is Justin Womack. I am a digital marketer, and I came to New Media Summit because I wanted to connect with other podcasters, like-minded people like myself that were following the medium, interested in the medium, and I was also interested in the side of being a guest on other shows. I have my own show, so I'm a co-host of the show Marketing Geeks uh, podcast, mm -hmm. and I've had that for a while. It's been successful, but I, I was just really interested in, in again, connecting with like-minded people. Um, your event was amazing, though, because I, I've been to a lot of seminar events, and the very few of them do we connect on such a personal level, and it, it was an incredible event. I'll tell you that. Yeah. yeah, it's seamless. It's, you know, the podcasters, the icons, and the attendees were all one and the same. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's hard to go to sleep. And I don't, you know, I mean, I mean, literally and figuratively, I live here in San Diego and we just was like, oh, I don't need to get a room. And it's like, oh, crap, I got to get a room next yeah. year because that literally every single extra second you get a chance to talk to people. Mm -hmm. You really don't want to go to sleep. You're just connecting so many people. Yeah. So, so you were thinking, Justin, I'm going to come here and, and we tend to, well, not only do we intend to, but we intentionally bring what we call professional podcasters to the event, people who we refer to as quote unquote icons of influence. Those are the people that the 150 attendees are, are pitching. They all take center stage to pitch them on who they are and what they do uh, to get booked on their show. So we definitely attract a, a high level of 
uh, of podcasters, professional podcasters who are there as icons looking for guests. But talk also then about your experience of uh, of taking the stage and did, did you get booked? And, and so you were hoping to, I'm sure, find guests for your podcast, uh, Marketing Geek. So let's let's start there. Did you end up finding guests for your show too? Yes. And well, first and foremost, I, I probably got 35, 40 cards of people interested in booking me on their shows. In booking and, you. In booking me on their shows. What was the experience like of, and we'll, you know, again, I don't want to make this into a whole long pitch for the New Media Summit, but it's just so rare that we have a professional level podcaster come to the event as an attendee looking to get booked on other shows. And then also, of course, looking for guests for, for your show yeah. as well. What was the experience like for you to take the stage and I mean, literally, you got 200 people, they're all looking at you, and they're up loud, raucous, making a lot of noise, and then the sound dies down, and then it's just you and the microphone. What, what was that experience like for you? Well, it was a little bit nerve-wracking, but the good news is for the last couple of years, I've been doing a lot of keynote talks and speaking, uh, taking a lot of speaking gigs, so I have experience on the stage. Mm-hmm. I've even gone through one of your prior icon of influences, um, influencers, Matt Browning. I've gone through his whole training program on public speaking and things like that, which sure. has helped me in a lot of ways. Um, and I think having that experience and kind of uh, doing that helped. It helped me get through get through that. But it was it was still a stretch. You still mm-hmm. stretched me a lot with getting that out there and doing that. And it was, uh, but it was a good one because I feel like I grew from the experience. Yeah, and and breaking it down into I think your pitch ended up being right around a minute or something of that nature, and you left time for for feedback. And you've got a really interesting story, and we'll get to that as well. <laughs> so you ended up with people. So we we have these things that we call show notes. Uh, love notes, whatever you want to call them, where people actually write down on a index card, you know, hey, Justin, that was a great pitch. I'd love to talk to you more about being on my show, or I know someone I want to introduce you to, and then they put that into your envelope. Um, you're saying you actually got 35 to 40 invitations. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think my pitch went a minute and a half, and I, okay. I remember looking at the clock and just like trying to jam the rest of it in there <laughs> as fast as I could so I could have time for feedback. Yeah, and and so <laughs> did, yeah, and did you end up then finding guests for your show? That was the other half of the question there. Yeah, yes, uh, yes, I did. Uh, however, um, what I'm actually going to be doing more so instead is starting a new podcast as a solo podcast where I'm able to take on a lot of the guests that just don't necessarily fit the mold of what we're looking for on Marketing Geeks at the moment. And since I have a co-host on that show and he's located in the Netherlands, um, oh. booking becomes a bit of a nightmare. We've, we already have, uh, we're booked out into February 2020 for that show on guests. So it's uh, so while there will be a few people we bring on to that show from the New Media Summit, um, a lot of them, I'm going to be starting my own podcast and taking um, and, and addressing that independently. Nice. Yeah, so part of what we taught at the, at the summit is what I call the New Media Trifecta. And I don't know if that was news to you or if this is something you had been thinking about, but I'm curious if this plays into then what you were thinking about for your show moving forward here. So do you remember the, do you remember the new media trifecta? Do you remember what was in there in terms of the is three this elements? The visibility and... Well, that's the other no, piece. Of it. So it's the... So I know, a few, a few things of, tree, of trees, of threes there. Uh, so it's a matter of having the brand, the podcast, and the online course all being aligned. And ideally with the same name, right? So like Closing from the Stage is a perfect example of a show that we're going to be releasing. So the brand is Closing from the Stage. The podcast will be called Closing from the Stage. And then our online course will be called Closing from the Stage. Makes it really easy to understand, of course, who you are and what you do and so on and and what that show is about. And literally, I mean, when you come right down to it, 100% of the people who would then tune into that show are raising their hand to say, okay, I'm interested in learning more about 
strategies or tactics or shortcuts, whatever it is, you know, best practices for closing from the stage, right? So it's like a 100% email open rate. It's 100% email <laughs> click-through rate, right? I mean, it's, it's insane. Are you thinking about your show? And, and obviously, as a marketing guy, your background is pretty extensive. Well, again, we'll get into that here in a second. But are you thinking about the new show from that perspective? Definitely. Um, How so? Yeah, my, my thought process is pretty much what you said there. I mean, I, I'm thinking of using the show as a um, top of funnel kind of tool to build an audience for a digital course, ultimately, and to monetize on the back end of that. I think um, Marketing Geeks is a more general show. And I think that one, um, in our minds, is more about just running advertisements and making money as a general marketing show um, without necessarily spending as much time on developing some kind of back-end program, at least at the level that I'm going to do with this other podcast. Mm -hmm. So, Do you have um, a sense of what that brand will be or what the podcast name will be? It's it's gonna be it's gonna have to do with persuasion, influence, and psychology. I can tell you that. So mm. my um, it, so it's gonna follow yep. a similar trajectory in terms of like marketing geeks talks about marketing. This will probably get into both marketing and sales, and it's gonna get a little bit deeper than that though. And I think I'm gonna have a mix of interviews and uh, solo episodes where I'll just be teaching different segments and different um, techniques. So I've already inter I've already recorded probably seven episodes for the show. Nice. Uh, even before I even had an official title for the show, I was recording episodes because I'm a kind of believer that you got to take fast action and kind of figure it out as you go. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, one of the exciting people I've had already had on is a guy named Chase Hughes, who's a behavioral psychologist. Um, he's going to be down in San Diego, I think, at the end of the month. But he's he's uh, super advanced on like studying body language and influence patterns and um, so I'm, ex I'm excited on the direction that I'm going with this and I've already got a good uh, head start awesome so let's let's take a couple of steps backwards then and give folks an opportunity to really understand your story because you actually shouldn't even be here really I mean no, like I you not. <laughs> right so uh, you you I'll let you dive into it, but you've had a number of reinventions in, in your life and so far as career, but I mean, but even as far as your, your life itself is concerned, take us through uh, uh, as much as you would like to get us to where we are today. Yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll do cliff notes in the beginning here. Um, I think I, I started out my career all over the place. Like I graduated from high school, had no idea what I wanted to do, and I went to, uh, I ended up at UC Santa Barbara. Um, not really following a clear path. And I started pursuing an engineering degree just because it sounded smart to me. Um, and then I got to the higher levels of calculus and I'm like, eh, wait a minute, I don't really want to do this. Mm -hmm. um, so I had already taken like all the science classes and um, like organic chemistry and all these high level sciences. So I ended up doing biopsychology um, because it interested me and I had already done the science background. And it, so basically this is neuroscience um, and it even had a pre-med element. Some people go into medical school from it. Mm. Um, so I majored in that in, in college and that um, the good part about this is it's now kind of coming back into play because um, I'm, I'm talking to people that are, are very into how neuroscience affects advertising, marketing, influence triggers of the brain, things like that. So some of this stuff is actually coming back, which is amazing. Um, but straight from a major in biopsychology, I did, of course, what everybody would do and get a job in uh, insurance. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I, uh, I think I graduated, I took the highest paying job at the time, which it was like 40 grand um, out of college and I was like blown away. I thought I was rich and had made it. And, uh, and at the time, I mean, it was a big, it was a big jump for me. And um, I just didn't, you know, I didn't really have a clear uh, vision into the future. Sure. So, I, uh, however, I quickly discovered that I, I think I'm uh, entrepreneurial by nature. I think I have the DNA of an entrepreneur. I have a lot of entrepreneurs in the family and uh, I was miserable. Um, I mean, like emotionally bankrupt, spiritually bankrupt, 
every day, live, live for the weekends, um, just hated every minute of working for somebody else. I hated not having control over my own schedule. And ultimately, after seven years going back and forth between, um, well, between two companies and having flashes of brilliance and flashes of almost being fired, <laughs> mm. at one point I was a sales agent um, for an insurance company where I think it was like two months prior I had been, had been talked to because I had a bad month. And then two months later, I was the number one agent out of 80 agents in the company uh, for sales and number three in the state. And it was, uh, it, it was just kind of a trajectory of my career where I had like these like completely polarizing um, experiences and months. Mm -hmm. And um, ultimately, though, I, I just found myself so deadened to what I was doing and not caring uh, that I was able to walk away from it. And I gave myself about three months where I had about a three, I felt like comfortable with about a three month cushion of, to figure this out. Um, and my, I, I actually got a job as a production assistant on a movie set because I liked movies and I figured I'm just going to follow my passion. Movies is going to be the key. And I quickly found out that that was a horrible idea. And it was like the worst experience of my life. Um, just working like 18 hour days and just miserable, not enjoying any of it. And, uh, and it kind of gave me a different, a different perspective on <laughs> what it takes to make those movies too. Yeah. Um, but then I discovered the, uh, the seminar industry and I, I actually stumbled into an NLP seminar and was that Matt's? That was Matt's actually was the first Matt's. one I'd ever been to. Yeah. Um, and at, so at Matt's, yeah, at Matt's event, I, I found it, I found a, an industry that actually resonated with me for one. Um, I signed up for his high-level program at the time, and there were a couple of guest speakers there. Um, one of those guest speakers, I, I there was an opportunity that came up a couple months later to work for him. And so within like two months of attending my first seminar, I was working on the back end of a seven-figure seminar company hmm. um, down here in San Diego. And it was, uh, so it was a big, uh, that was a big jump for me. And that was where I started really getting into a lot of these marketing strategies and tactics and learning the stuff on the back end. This is how I first got into like copywriting, and I've always been a writer, and I've always been recognized for having good writing talent. But copywriting and writing are very different skill sets. However, I was able to kind of make that transition. Um, also, just learning like the marketing and presentation psychology. I mean, that's that stuff fascinates me to this day. Like when I watch uh, people pitch from the stage, I if I know I'm not going to buy their program kind of in advance, and I'm always open somewhat to, to buying, but um, sure. I, I'm trying to like break down the structure of the way people present. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I'm looking at things like, are these, how many times are they seeding their offers in advance? What are they, what are these things they're doing? And we, we could talk about more on that in a minute, but, um, but I really, I, I really loved what I was doing. Now I was working for somebody else and, um, and it was a highly successful company. There were only two full-time people, myself and one other person, and then the, and then the leader of the company. Um, so it was a lot of work. Mm. And I got, I got pushed. I got tested. And it was, it was a lot. Um, but I think it was one of the biggest growth experiences I've ever had in my entire life. Now, during this, though, was when that, um, I experienced my accident. And my accident wasn't just a car accident, but it was me um, driving like in a state of like pure exhaustion, <laughs> um, losing control over my car, driving through a guardrail into a um, landing vertically, like into like a creek bed and um, getting knocked unconscious. The car rolled upside down, landed upside down underwater. It was, uh, it was dirty water, which is the biggest aspect of this entire story is that the water was completely filthy. And so, um, I nearly drowned. I aspirated a ton of water into my lungs. I was actually rescued from my car by somebody that witnessed the accident and jumped into the water 
um, went under, and it, apparently the water was so dirty that it was like black, couldn't see in there. No he, lord. He somehow got the door open, and then he came up, and there were several witnesses, um, and he yelled out, "Does anyone have a knife?" And he said, "No." But I, I talked to this guy several times since. Uh, I, I see him about once a year now, mm. um, and. Nobody had a knife, um, so he said that he, at that moment, he was so traumatized, these are his words, um, that he knew that if he's gonna have to, when he dives back down, like he's either gonna pull me out or I'm gonna die. And, and he felt like my life was in his hands, which is amazing for somebody to feel that, especially for a complete stranger. So one of my luckiest things is that there was somebody like him that witnessed this and actually took action like he did. Uh, but he went down, he doesn't, he says he, basically blacked out, doesn't remember how it happened, but he was able to, he came up and he had me out of the car. He dragged me to Did the- Did he have to tear, like the knife was for the purpose of cutting you out of your seatbelt? He belt. didn't have a knife though. Right, yeah. but that was the ask, I need a knife because somehow you had to be cut out of yeah, the seatbelt. Yeah, because I had my seatbelt belt still on because I was knocked unconscious, so yes. Right, so, but he has no recollection at all of how he then did that without a knife. That's what he's told me, yes. Wow. And mm-hmm. you are a tall guy. Yeah, and I'm a big guy, and this guy was also like my height. So he oh. saw, well, that's like, I'm six foot five. This guy's about six foot five as well. Oh, wow. um, at the time of the accident, I was about 250 pounds. So I'm not a light guy either. Mm. Um, so to have somebody of his bravery and courage and his size, I mean, and then when he pulled me to the side of it, there was an off duty lifeguard that was there too that gave that helped to do CPR. So mm. it was like, Tons of like synchronicities and um, what city is this in? So like, where did this, this happen? Is in San Diego. Oh, this is in San Diego. <laughs> yeah, yes. Where did you go down? In Mission Bay. In you, did you end up in Mission Bay? Yes. Yeah, and that's dirty water, salt, dirty water too. Yes. So. What? Yep, 2014. Um, so this uh, this all happened. This all happened back then, and and now um, when they finally got me to the hospital. It was, uh, they, called my, they called my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, um, and they called my parents, and basically it was like, you need to get down here. Um, the, the cryptic, but like the, the, the assumption was I wasn't going to make it to the night. And so um, they came, and within the first three days, um, the, the first night was like a miracle I'd survived. A lot of the nurses were surprised I was still there after a day. But on day three, I went into, uh, my lungs collapsed, I went into multiple organ failure. My leg had turned purple, and they had told my father that uh, life over limbs and that it was likely they're going to amputate my leg and they were going to do some emergency procedures. And somehow, um, I was in a medical coma at this time. Somehow, I came out of that with fully intact. And um, right before they did the procedure, I guess they had brought the priest in even to do a blessing. And so it got it got that serious, that dark. Um, Somehow, so, some way, I, I stayed alive and survived, and and stayed in a medical coma for for thirty days there, um, and then woke up and spent another thirty days in the ICU after that, uh, over in Hillcrest uh, at the hospital here in San Diego. Mm-hmm. So, so I I have to ask this question. So, so after the New Media Summit, I um, I spent a, a week in Sedona, and have you ever been to Sedona? Um, I, th- I think so, but I don't... Uh, not You'd recently. remember if you yeah. were there. Okay, so Sedona is just outside of Phoenix. It's about a two-hour drive outside of Phoenix. Red Rocks, and it's one of the most mystical, magical, spiritual places on Earth. A lot of energy vortices, and look at my woo coming out. Wow. Um, you know, like, it's just it's really a, a special place there. <laughs> look at my woo coming out. Look at my out. woo coming out. <laughs> so, uh, so I was there with a very small group of people, a high-end mastermind, a uh, lot of healing, a lot of, lot of work. Uh, that we did there, and part of how uh, 
part of the conversation over over the course of that week, you know, lots of different conversations. But one of the conversations that that I brought up is the conversation of what happens after we die, and and I am thoroughly convinced that everything just goes black. I'm sorry. I know. That's, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Well, that's what I'm convinced of. And so interestingly enough, I had a my sixth colonoscopy on Monday. Uh, fortunately, this time they only found one polyp, so that's a reduction of, of where I was, which is good. And got rid of that and the whole nine. But um, I don't remember anything. Like literally go in, sedation, out, wake up. Do you, and this is part of the reason why I'm convinced that when you die, it just all goes black. Like nothing happens, you know, and whatever this light is that we have inside of us, whatever makes Richie who Richie is, whatever makes Mary who Mary is. I mean, you guys are just, you know, limbs and bones and muscles and fats and the whole nine. And, (laughs) and like there's, but what makes you, you, you know what I mean? Like that, whatever that is, that spirit, whatever you want to call it. It gives you a unique personality, unique, you know, your unique ways of being when whatever is sort of firing up that engine, when that all goes away, then whatever that piece is of you that makes you unique, I'm convinced that just goes away. So, so it's interesting. I haven't had the chance to sit down with anybody who has been out for that long of a period of time. You know, people who talk about life after death experiences and, oh, you see the light and this is what happens. Bull crap. I mean, you don't, you don't, I mean, you didn't die. Like, you can't tell me what happens after you die because you didn't die. You're still here. You're telling the story. So, you know what I mean? Like, there, I, I find no legitimacy in that. And maybe that's just my skepticism's coming out and so on. But you were ostensibly, well, as dead as you can be for a 30-day period. Do you remember anything? Actually, um, yes. I, I do remember a lot. Um, and not, Jeez. but it's not, it's not all good, though. So, um, so it, it, and it was a medical coma, so it wasn't a full coma. It was a, it was medically induced coma. Right. Um, but I, I mean, it was, uh, I had, it was like a basically in a dreamlike state where I was integrating things that were happening around me. However, it was kind of nonsensical and metaphorical in a lot of ways. But How, I, can you describe yeah. that? Like, what does that mean? So um, I had like in my dreams, I was like fighting for breath constantly. And um, there was one, at one point I thought I was being tortured by nurses and like they were like holding um, and like keeping breath for me. So it wasn't a pleasant experience in my dreams. Um, but I had uh, family members that would pop in periodically. Um, Dead family members or no, live? No, 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 or people, living? That, people that were actually visiting in the hospital, they would, they would show up like in my, uh, whatever you want to call these dreams or hallucinations, whatever was going on there. Is then. it possible you just gain consciousness during those periods of time? Well, it's possible that... Um, that the memories are from a period where I had be, a period between when I had regained consciousness and when I fully came to, because there was a period where they woke me up um, and I was still on a respirator. And, um, and so I know that like from the people who have described it, that I was like freaking out and, um, but I have no memory of that. Uh, so it's possible that I was hallucinating some of these things. Right. While that was happening, so that's very possible. So there, there are explanations on, on what it could be, but it was, uh, yeah, most of them were not were not so positive. It was more of me. It was always like a constant metaphor of some sort of like tormentor and me fi- fighting for my life. Um, just things like where I like in my dream, I'd put on been put on some like breathing machine, and I was like having to fight to breathe. And it was it was very it was very interesting because it was mm. so accurate to what was happening on the surroundings. Um, I have no idea how these thoughts and all this got into my mind, but. It, uh, 
But the fascinating thing is they didn't know if I would have brain function when they woke me up, too, um, because I had been underwater for approximately anywhere from three to five minutes. Holy cow, that's how long it was? Yeah. Mm. That was fast, though, too, for that guy to rescue you. It was still pretty fast, yeah. Yeah. And the water was—the good news is the water was so cold that apparently when the water is colder, you have a better chance of preserving brain function and um, surviving when you're underwater that long. So um, I think that probably played into it a bit. But it was, yeah, it was quite a while. So they didn't know if I'd have brain function when I woke up. And that's one of the reasons they woke me up in, uh, at one point during the medical coma was to kind of test and see if I would respond to certain commands, things like that. So no no white light, no <laughs> guy on a chair, no, no, no dead family members coming in. Unfortunately, it was all like, like mostly negative. <laughs> <laughs> this big, beautiful thing is yeah. <laughs> Well, that says a lot about what happened before you went under then. All right, there we yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> So maybe maybe I needed to correct the course of my life, and that was what's going on there. <laughs> so, did you? Uh, yes, and, and uh, um, I mean yes, and I, I'm still working on on correcting what I'm doing. But I mean, it, it's a it's been a journey. So it was about a year of me uh, in recovery because um, I had severe fungal infections on my lungs. Mm. Um, so they actually did. I had thoracotomy surgery where they actually went in and scraped fungus off of my lungs. Oh, I had a fungus Lord. called Aspergillus growing mm. on them, which is. Not harmful in small doses, but when it's growing on your lungs, it's very harmful. Mm. Um, they've had me on like experiment, uh, experimentally high dosages of antifungal medications that were done through IV drips. So even after I got out of the ICU, I had to go to the cancer centers and do IV drips um, oh. for these uh, antifungal meds. And, and I also had several blood clots from being bedridden that long, so I had to be on Coumadin for uh, mm-hmm. a good six months or so. Um, so it was, it was a journey to kind of recover my strength and uh, and. Also, two months in the ICU, I mean, I went from 250 pounds to leaving at about 205, mm. and I, I couldn't lift my arms over my head. It was uh, the, the level that you lose your muscle strength and how quickly that happens is pretty uh, incredible. Um, I couldn't open, like, big, heavy sliding doors, um, like, things like that. I mean, that's how weak I was when I got out of the hospital. So it, it was um, – it was a journey to get back to, to get back to strength. And to this day, I'm still, um, the atrophy has still, I'm not as strong as I used to be. I used to be pretty, uh, much more stronger. Um, mm-hmm. I also used to, there was a time in my life when I would run like seven miles a day, wow. which may have helped with the fact that I was able to survive a lot of the lung conditions that I had, um, because I had strong lungs. And, um, so that all went on as well. Um, and one of the things, one of the complications that came from this was a condition called ARDS, which is acute respiratory distress syndrome, where the mortality rate on that is around 70 to 80 percent. Wow. So it's like 70 to 80 percent of people that get it don't survive. And the ones that do, very few of them make a full recovery. So it's like uh, just so many things that I was able to beat the odds on to get to where I am today. And so I, I know, have to be incredible. grateful for everything. And you never know. I mean, things can still return and cr- new complications could show up somewhere but at this time i'm doing pretty well so mm. so take us then into you're in a seven-figure company you're running things from a marketing perspective you're i mean you're really an integral part of that team this happens what because uh, now your expertise is in the world of well it had been but it continues to be then in the world of marketing and presentation psychology and marketing psychology and online marketing and, and so on and so forth. So was it then a wake up call like, hey, I got to I, I got to honor this entrepreneurial bug of mine. I need to, to get out of that. Was it a clean break? I mean, like, what did you end up doing? And then what are you doing yeah. now specifically? So, like, then? The thing I can say at the beginning that really like triggered this was me being in the hospital bed when I had woken up from the coma um, where I still had 30 days there where I couldn't really move. Like every day felt like a week to me. That was a lot of time to think. <laughs> yeah. 
And it was like, it was kind of, you know, there was also these moments where I didn't know exactly what function I was going to be in the rest of my life. So there were, there were moments where I pleaded to God and I've never really been that religious. And, um, I've been somewhat, but not, not super religious, put it that way. And I, you know, it was kind of like, yeah, if I get a second chance, I really want to make the most of it. And there's, there's a lot of things that I want to do. Um, and it was, I want to, I want to do this on my own. I want to create my own business. I want to make my own legacy. Um, it's also kind of humbling to, to be so helpless and, um, and to know that, yeah, if, if this was the end, like that's it, everything I've done so far, that would have been the, in, that would have been the entirety of my legacy. That was, that was it. So it, it, it gave me permission to take some risks that I think I was afraid to take before. Mm. Um, it also, you know, uh, on a side note, it led me to marrying my girlfriend who stood by me the entire time during the accident. We'd already been together for about three years. Mm. Um, and then we've had our first, child um wow. which is really cool and it's it's funny because like we brought him to go visit the guy that rescued me last uh, uh well, actually within the last six months mm. and just like that that whole idea of like wow he's only here because of you kind of thing is pretty pretty crazy too so wow man i could go down like this whole time i've been like not i'm not wanting to ask a question because i wanted to keep listening but wanting to ask and it's like oh my gosh but I want to go back to that first transition since this is reinvention radio. You, you're in the insurance agency and you decide, I can't do this anymore. You got about three months runway. You're about one month in when you got the gig for the next one for the seminar, or, or excuse me, not one month in when you did the seminar with Matt and you did high level coaching. So you have like three months runway, one, blah, blah, blah runway mm. and then you enter a high level coaching and you still don't know what you're going to be doing yet well like what was that like just because that's a leap right there it was this is the first leap of in the series and, and i think um and part of this the part of the trigger this was that I, I had kind of entered into a depression when i was working um at my insurance job and it was in my again i was still with the same uh girlfriend now wife um who, you know, had, had kind of uh, had seen it in me. And it was like, you, you really, you can't go on like this. This isn't going to work for both of us kind of thing. And so it was, there was that wake up call where it, it was the realization that like this, like if we're going to, you know, if, if for me to continue on this tract with, uh, with my girlfriend, wife at the time, I needed to, I needed to find a way where, um, every day wasn't the worst day of my life, like an office space. <laughs> um, and, and it was like, it was a very hard thing for me to have a conversation with my boss at the time and to even say that um, I'm putting in my two weeks and, uh, but I have no plan, <laughs> essentially no plan. Um, and I'm just going to figure this thing out. Uh, that was really challenging for me. It's not, I, I've always been a person that shied away from those kind of conversations, even when, even though it's not even that serious, it's just still, it's still being real. And I think those are the things that have, in the past have been challenging for me. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think the actual period extended past three months because I did get that job in the movie industry for a bit. Mm -hmm. And so after I got a little bit of money from that, it, it flowed to me a little bit longer. I don't remember the exact period, but it was it was, it was, it was within six months, I'd say the whole thing. Um, but it, it, was, it was, I was seeking and I'd always been attracted to personal development. I was, you know, I was into Tony Robbins from the early 2000s on. And so when I, when I found the NLP seminar and I found this whole world of business coaching and personal development, it was just something that just resonated with me and I knew it was something I wanted to pursue. 
And when the opportunity came to work on the back end, I didn't care. It was a pay cut. I mean, it was, I was making less money and I didn't care. And it was worth it to me because it was something that I was actually passionate about, actually cared about. And I was actually, and I felt like I was learning because one of the things working for somebody else is every day was the same. And I, I hate, I don't like monotony. I don't like routine, um, at least at that level where everything is the same. So I need that kind of variety in my life. And I, I guess it was just, uh, I think it was just kind of the realization that like, if I continue this, if I continue to work at this company, I'm just going to fall into a deeper depression. And, um, and I feel like, you know, in some ways I'm dying inside. And it was, uh, at, at some point I just reached, I reached some kind of a threshold and I found the courage to make that, have that conversation. And then I just, uh, at that point there was no turning back. So it almost feels like both of those, even, even after you wake up in the hospital and, you know, I'm going to do this on my own now. That's kind of almost like there's nothing to lose type of mentality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you or you didn't, and you didn't have the money. I mean, when you when you signed over the high level program with Matt, I mean, oh, it, definitely not. You didn't have the money. So it was I, I had, I mean, I could do, you know, credit card 500 or, a month or whatever it was. But <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I was able to I was able to make that happen. But I definitely didn't have the money. It was something that was also a leap right there. It just uh, it was something. Yeah. And, I, and that was the first seminar I'd ever attended. You have to keep this in mind because the whole seminar world is a shock to people that have not been exposed to it. Mm -hmm. Like you see, um, you see somebody pitching from the stage selling a $50,000, $100,000 um, service from the stage, which was became a regular thing. Sure. Uh, it, that's like, it, to this day, if I go tell somebody about that, that has, no, uh, has not been exposed to this industry, it's like, they're like, what? Yeah. I'm crazy. I couldn't believe it. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, somebody would pay that? So let, let's fast forward then to when you, you, you did the NLP training and we haven't had a lot of NLP folks on, if, if any, over the years mm -hmm. now. How does NLP, what, what specific strategies or best practices, I hate to use the word tactics, but what do you apply from NLP to presentation psychology and, and marketing psychology? Like, how do those two go hand in hand? Well, there's, uh, there's different different uh, modes of NLP. And with, with him, there were two multiple courses. There was, there was like the personal development side of learning NLP, but there was actually a whole speaking series on how to use it from the stage. Great, and let's talk about that. And that was, uh, the thing that I loved about that was it, it got us into little small breakout groups and actually doing the speaking to small groups and practicing and doing it. And, um, and I'm a guy that learns from doing action. It. Yeah. Um, I'm a guy that I'm also a guy that can pass a test like blind with like a C. Like I, I'm like a really really good student. I've always been like able to to kind of like uh, just cruise through school no problem because I'm a good test taker. It doesn't mean I'm learning the material. It just means I'm a good test taker. <laughs> You're a good regurgitator, or whatever yeah, good. It takes. I'm a good yeah. regurgitator of information. Yeah. I can hear a lecture and then I can kind of figure out the answer to a question. Um, but this like when that when I actually learn, it's it's from this kind of uh, practice, and so. Getting into this and and then learning kind of like some techniques on storytelling, how to actually create emotions through your story, um, how like there's different modes of we've all heard there's visual, auditory, kinesthetic modes of uh, communication, but there's also ways that you could speak to speak to those different modalities. So that kind of stuff um, was new to me, mm. and the idea that like um, if I want to talk to someone kinesthetically, I can slow down a bit and. Um, and get into like different modes and visuals fast and kind of upbeat and, and creating pictures. And then auditory gets into sound effects and like things like that. Um, it, it just opened new doors for me. And, and I, I it, it was so inspiring to me that I, I instantly wanted to go do speaking gigs. And so, so this is after the accident, but after the accident, I, I instantly joined up with my chamber of commerce and 
right away I went into leading workshops, um, which I could tell you from my experience, nothing, networking at a chamber of commerce is not a good thing for somebody in this industry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but leading workshops can be. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things um, that I'm teaching now is like kind of the idea of creating perceived authority, building authority in, in your business and brand. And public speaking is one of those ways to fast authority. So like when you're seen on a stage, it doesn't matter whether you truly know your stuff or not. You just instantly are perceived in a higher level. You have the positioning of somebody that knows what they're talking about. And, and so uh, I've come to realize quickly is that public speaking is probably the most important skill for anybody in business, period. Like mm-hmm. there's nothing else. Because well, even mm-hmm. podcasting is public speaking, in my opinion. Sure. So it's, uh, it, it, it's as, as far as anything goes, I would say it's that. The, the other way to build fast authority without public speaking is to, uh, is to write a book. But if you were to ask, if you were to ask me about writing a book even, uh, some of the biggest value of that is the stage time that you're going to book because you wrote the book and the back end of that entire funnel. Um, most people write a book because they think they're going to make book sales, but that's yeah. not how it works these days. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people focus on, you know, if you want to be an authority, you look at the root word of authority, which is author. I look at actually the middle piece of that, which is Thor. <laughs> so if you write a book, you are a superhero. Yeah, like, that's exactly. Takes a, takes a and by the way, Steve, yes. if you were listening to his programming as he spoke to you, you're about ready to sign up for his high-level mastermind. You're yeah, right. Yeah. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. Where's the paperwork? Right. So, so let's talk about then marketing psychology further then. What, so, uh, and, and you can either use me as a case study here because you were at the New Media Summit. You saw me put forth the offer. Uh, I'm sure, and it's interesting. I mean, I do the same thing. I go to events. I hear what people do and how they do it. I actually uh, have my own opinions on how things went from that perspective. But if you were coaching me then on marketing psychology or presentation psychology, offer psychology, et cetera, what, what were your takeaways then from the offer and, you know, there was a repitch and, and so on. And you're obviously familiar with the general three-day conference structure. So what was your what was your main takeaway? What would you recommend for improvement? And then perhaps in future episodes, I can talk about what I did and use your feedback as a basis to say, hey, this is something you guys should think about doing uh, with your offers. So I, I'd love, maybe we can do that. Yeah, there's so many different ways of, of presenting the offer. One of the ones that I've always kind of liked is the idea of um, application-based offers where instead of, um, where maybe you could give the price from the stage, uh, but there's also this element where you have to apply and have a conversation with somebody. And usually you may have seen where they they pass out envelopes and then it's like, do not open the envelope until the end. And and that also kind of gets people into a certain emotional state, which I think is a good primer for an offer, is Mm -hmm. to be into that anticipatory state, um, which I think is one of the reasons why that strategy can work. Mm -hmm. I I think... um, so that's one thing that I, I, I kind of like. I just like that strategy in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think the way that you did it was uh, was pretty powerful and, and pretty effective. Uh, I, I liked how, and this might have been on your second offer when you played you played some you played a music video, which I think is also a primer for emotions and getting mm-hmm. people into certain emotional states. The little girl and the, the little re-pitch. girl playing mm-hmm. uh, the Lady Gaga song, mm-hmm. and I just remember that, and it, it was because uh, it definitely worked as far as shifting my state at the moment, and I think. I think being cognizant of like the way people are feeling before you get into an offer like that is really important. And like, I am a big fan of Robert Cialdini. He's got an entire book called Persuasion, which is about like priming the pump as far as where somebody's at before you get into the offer. Um, And and for him, it's all for before you get into anything in marketing. But Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's uh, yeah, it's interesting because uh, I'm trying to think how I could like break this down because I don't. I'm going off memory here (laughs) a little bit. Um, I think. 
stories are very important in an offer. Well, it's interesting. And, and so to that end, it's interesting that the offer itself wasn't memorable enough for you to then be able to recall many of the elements of it. So either that's a really good thing from the standpoint of it was subtle enough and it didn't feel over the top and you felt insulted or somehow agitated by it so that you made these mental notes and have now these mental triggers around it, or it was so subtle, in fact, or so ineffective that it it doesn't leave any sort of, you know, really uh, just uh, being able to recall it is difficult for you to do. So that's well, interesting, too. Yeah, but that's the word you're talking about. Did it give you an impression on it? how it made you feel. Mm. Yeah, but I felt like um, the impression that I got was that it really was something that was going to kind of hold your hand from start to finish and really take you through it. And it would be where you'd be working with you privately and getting, if you want to get all this done and not, um, and, and not have to do it on your own, then this is the program for that. Yeah. So I felt like that was well communicated. And then I, I believe you went into a story about kind of like, regret for not taking action at one point at the end, which I think is also very uh, important to do. For sure. And because it's, it's you want to get, you also want to communicate that like, look, um, you can go through your life and you, and you can have opportunities that show up like this and you're going to, there's going to be decision points, but like it's, are you going to step up and do it or, or not? And you're going to look back at the end of your life and how are you going to feel about the decisions you made? Mm-hmm. So I feel like you communicated something in that regard. Um, I remember- for sure. And that that was effective. That landed. Um, I, uh, I I the way I was trained was very much on the Lisa Sasevich model of problem solutions. So uh, I'm used to seeing a lot of that on stage. Actually, physically put on the slides. Even like here's the problem. Here's the solution. This is uh, this is what we're uh, what we're solving for you. So uh, that you went you you described those things, but they weren't like on the slides. Mm-hmm. So that was a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, those are my yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Please, well, Rich. I have a question because it kind of goes perfectly set up with when you were t- mentioning the leases. It's also fundamentally, I believe, a little easier for somebody to comprehend this. Here's problem solution. Oh, and it's X dollar, but his price point was a lot higher than leases too, and so it was a longer, slower. We're going to do this with you, whereas hers was. You know, right now I can basically help you 10x what you're going to give me in the back of the room. Is basically, I'm, I'm making a yeah, number sure. up, but it was kind of like that. Like, you're going to go spend $2,000 in the back of the room and you're going to be making $20,000. She didn't say it like that, but yeah, I'm just wondering, do you, where do you see the emotion in the kind of sense of urgency where, where maybe Steve could have... Well, a couple things there, because um, you just brought the kind of the emotion and, and the idea of like you're going to make back your investment plus more. I, I love the idea of putting people into like future frames and and meaning like imagine it's a year in the future. You've now been doing this program. Um, your biggest problem has been solved. What's your life? What's your life look like now? And kind of getting people into that possibilities frame, or you could call it a future mm-hmm. frame. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also kind of like taking it away afterwards and like, OK, so now that if you don't do this, what happens if you don't do it? So we talked about what would happen if you do it. What happens if you don't do it? The so takeaway? Kind of the takeaway. And, and it's kind of like getting into the fear of missing out and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. And so, and also developing a sense of contrast. So I think- What does I that think, look like? Well, um, you I mean, this is your life. If you do it, you're going you're gonna to have, a, you're, all your problems are solved. You're living on the beach, drinking margaritas and, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. making money as you sleep. Um, 
versus like if you don't do this, you're stuck where you've been. Mm-hmm. You're um, you're back. You're back at square one. Your life might look exactly as it does today a year from now. Or, to, like or to your point, even if you took them future paced first, and then you took them, well, what happened if you didn't? It's not just from. It's almost like it's a farther distance back mm-hmm. because now time has gone by too. So there's less time for you to do it. So that in the contrast model, it's not like you're just. You're not just where you still are. You're farther behind the, because you could have been, you know, whatever. It's like a math yeah. class, right? You're you're ten miles down the road. I can solve it. <laughs> <laughs> Give the it's math an problem. Now, one of the things that the, the guy I worked for before that did that I um, that I've come to realize was like more powerful than I ever realized was that he had like three different tiers to his top offer. So there was uh, there was like this, and his was a hundred thousand at the time. So there was like a twenty five thousand dollar version, a fifty thousand dollar version, and a hundred thousand dollar version, essentially. Mm-hmm. And um, by creating those different tiers, and then when you sit down and have a sales conversation afterwards, all of a sudden, like the twenty five thousand dollar offer doesn't even feel like that much anymore. <laughs> right. It makes it because they talk about contrast. That like changes the way. I mean, I just remember because um, when I uh, when I first experienced that, it just like. Like wow, I like I would totally want the hundred thousand. I was no way I could do that, but like, okay, okay, maybe look at some of these lower end offers. Mm-hmm. So and do you? So to that end, and given your expertise, and again going back to marketing and presentation psychology here, then do you present? Because part of what we've been taught is if you give people too many options, they don't make decisions. Yeah, true. So so in in that regard, do you present the hundred thousand dollar offer? And then say we have other opportunities for you to work with us at a $50,000 level or at a $25,000 level, talk to our team. Or do you present the $25,000 offer hoping to scoop up as many as you can that will be a good fit for that? And then say, oh, we also have a 50 and we also have a 100. Like, you well, know what I mean? Uh, yeah, having not done a $100,000 offer myself, I can speak to just uh, what I've witnessed. Sure. Um, the, so the pitch was essentially 90% for the middle offer. So 90% for, for the $50,000 offer. Um, at the end of it was a, by the way, if you really want to accelerate this and take this to a super high level, this is only for about three people, kind of kind of a pitch. Um, and it was done that way. But the, and the, the lower end offer wasn't even mentioned. That was done on the back end of like private conversations. So the lower end offer was not even was not even presented on the stage. Interesting. So that's a that's a downsell that is only presented on the private conversations. Mm. What were you going to say, Richard? You're jumping out of your chair there. Well, I mean, it's you know trying to think of like okay, when we only have a little bit of time left too, but it's basically your main offer. I, I so want, in our case, the main offer would be Icon, Icon Maker. Maker. Right. The Icon Maker Elite would be the the higher end. Yep. And, and then, then the Icon Maker Mastermind, which we didn't even mention, would be the lower and end. And exactly. Just for which would be back just in so the if conversation. You're, if you're structuring this to where like they were doing, where you'd have um, you pull people from the room on day three, and you're having private conversations, like private sales conversations, um, that's that was kind of the structure of this, where they would actually have a team of coaches that would pull people and do the sales conversations on day three. Mm-hmm. And um, and then that would be the downsell for somebody that's like, once you get an idea of where they are budget-wise, yeah. it's like, okay, well, maybe this is what's right for you then. And did, yeah. there's that. did this other speaker that you work with have other speakers that came on day three? Because that was part of, we were having some conversations, but some of them wanted to listen to the other speakers. Yeah, I, I think um, going off memory, I believe so. It, it, but those, those, that's the time where you don't interrupt. But there's other. It's usually, I mean, it's a lo- it's a full day, so it's like during those segments, don't pull people from the room, kind of thing, because you're only um, 
you, you're not going to make your, your speakers yeah. happy by doing that. Obviously, you want mm-hmm. them in the room to hear those. Uh, so it's just it's being selective with the segments, but uh, I think it can I, work. I think what's unique with yours, Steve. So first, I want to say something about emotion, then I'll go back to yours. It's like to the movie stuff for a little. What makes a good movie? You can make you laugh, make you cry, make you mad, make you happy, but just don't let you walk out of the movie feeling the same way you walked into the movie. That's mm-hmm. usually a sign of a good movie, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to move someone emotionally, and then they kind of justify with logic. And you, you're, it's such a great thing that you provide at New Media Summit, giving everyone this opportunity that there's, there's, I think that there's something that also happens because we're hearing so many different stories and going through so many emotional rides with these other people doing their pitches in yeah. between that. There's context, there's, right? There's, so it's one of your favorite words. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's context and, too. And, and, and back to your original point where you were saying, you know, where you were prior whether it's a website, where, where you're on Google searching for this cure for this thing, and then you land on my page, or what you know, where you are sitting right prior to that offers everything. So mm-hmm. it's unique when you have all these different people's yeah. conversations right before you're doing it too. So let's let, let's bring it home, Justin. And you know, we we yeah. could talk all long <laughs> on this local. stuff. With you. I know, right? And you're local. You got to come back and join us again. Um, let let's let's tie it all together then, as it relates to your expertise in online marketing. Mm-hmm. So as you look at the world of online marketing today, and then you combine your background in NLP and marketing psychology and presentation psychology and so on, if you were starting from scratch right now and a client just came to you who you knew you could help, and, and you know, we'll give you an opportunity, obviously, to talk about what you do and how people can get in contact with you for sure. But if someone just came to you right now, ideal client, you knew you could help them, they had nothing going on online, and they want to generate, you know, leads and revenue, visibility, et cetera. What would you instruct them to do, and how and how would you instruct them to do that? And of course, we need to do that in about uh, three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think uh, first and foremost, you have to you have to have some level of authority building, um, and you want to you want to establish your expertise very quickly in this marketplace. So th- I would say a podcast is one of the number one ways to go about that. Is starting that right away because not only does it build up your authority, it also opens up networking like on steroids. Yeah. Um, just from my podcast, I've been able to interview people that would have to pay like ten thousand dollars to spend time with on um, privately, but I get to interview them for free, and they're coming on, and uh, sure. I can ask them whatever I want. Yeah. Um, those kind of opportunities are priceless, I think. Also, um, beyond that, it, it is uh, again go to your local go to your local chamber of commerce and become a speaker. Like actually lead or go to networking groups and actually lead as a speaker. There's just such a difference in your uh, ability to be efficient and to get your, your get your offer across than it is if you're just trying to network and pass out business cards, which will probably end up in the trash. And most people just go to a networking group, they hand out as many business cards as possible, and um, they collect business cards. A lot of people don't even follow up with the ones they get, and it, it just ends like that. And it's just kind of an endless cycle. It's easy to get trapped in that cycle. Um, so I, I see those. I mean, the other the other ideas are like you know write a book. It, it's so easy with Kindle Direct Publishing on Amazon. Sure, anybody can write a book. There's strategies to get any book to a bestseller status, quote unquote. Yeah. So <laughs> now least, you so so you have the authority whether yeah. it's through the podcast, through the book, somebody finds you. What what are you teaching people to do nowadays? Then? Well, I mean, it's like what you say though. But visibility is the primary one. So number mm-hmm. one is you need to be visible, and um, and from that it's. It's then getting them either into some sort of marketing funnel. So that's uh, for a lot of people, it's going to be an email marketing funnel of some kind. So we can go down the traditional route of lead magnets, 
email marketing funnel that either leads to a sale or to a or to a, some sort of a strategy call or whatever that's going to be. Um, mm-hmm. how, however, that looks, uh, or or you could, I mean, if uh, there, I know there are people that use their podcasts basically only as lead generation tools, and they're the guests that come on the show are the people that are potential clients, Just things like that too. Sure. So there's there's different models out there, um, but obviously you seem to choose one and run with it. Yeah. So. Um, Thank you for that. So if you were to summarize your your core expertise right now and how you best work with people, how you best help your clients, how, what what would that sound like? How how would you describe that? So I do a lot of uh, I do a lot of service work to this day, which I'm I'm kind of moving away towards. I want to get more into more of the high level coaching side of things. Um, but I, to this day, like I do a lot of copywriting. So one of my one of my primary things is I'm an email copywriter, and that's mm-hmm. that's probably ninety percent of my income is email copywriting. Um, so I take on uh, whether that's writing indoctrination welcome sequences or it's uh, it's some kind of like sales sequence or something like that. I'm taking on those projects. I'm incorporating all these different psychology um, triggers that we talked about on the mm-hmm. show today, mm-hmm. and uh, and, I, and I'm doing that. So that's one of my main things is I am a copywriter, and I at this point I'm doing it all myself still. So give us <laughs> so give us a sense. So if we hired you to do like a five email indoctrination sequence and use some of those triggers, like what what would be a price point on something like that? So um, you might you might criticize me on the on the low end of this, but like three hundred and seventy five dollars is what I'm charging people to do that, and I am on for um, a five email sequence for right now. Five email sequence. Okay, can you count us in for one of those before you yeah, raise your you prices, please? Okay, yeah. sweet. Um, Seriously, count us yeah, in yeah, for yeah, one. Yeah, We're you in. Got it. Yeah, so before one of the, you raise your prices, <laughs> and then we'll talk about raising your prices. One of the yes. things. Uh, one of the things I did, and I know we're wrapping up real quick. Yeah. Um, is I after all this, I became an Infusionsoft certified partner. That led me to getting recruited by Fiverr when they opened up their Fiverr Pro division. Mm-hmm. So they recruited me into their Fiverr Pro division, and that's one of the services that I uh, created there was this five email kind of indoctrination sequence. And it's uh, yeah. I, like it was funny because I did that as like kind of a whim, joined up with Fiverr Pro, just thinking nothing of it. But the first year, I did over twenty grand in net um, awesome. revenue, which was I mean a good chunk of change. I mean it's not my primary uh, source, but it's a good chunk. Um, and so. Yeah, it's just when you take on these different things, you never know what doors are going to open up to. So. Yeah. So Marketing Geeks is the name of the podcast. Yes, Marketing and Geeks. That is, so Marketing Geeks is alive and well. People can go check that out. You're going to have a new podcast coming yep, out. Just search about, my name and it'll pop up there soon. So, so Justin, Justin Womack, W-O-M-A-C-K. Got it. And, and J-Mac Media is my company, J-M-A-C-K Media. You can go to jmacmedia.com as well. Okay, so J-M-A-C-K Media.com mm-hmm. to get more information as well. It's awesome, man. Yeah, like this is literally something we could <laughs> – I mean, we could go on and on sure. and all about, but um, but we will be in touch personally on our level because there's lots of ways for us to play. We'll figure out if we can get you back in here to, to go down a different path because, again, so much to, to talk about. Hopefully, you'll come back to a New Media Summit in 10 seconds. If somebody's thinking about coming to the New Media Summit and they're on the fence, what would you tell them? Do it. Do it. Yeah. Change the trajectory <laughs> of your yeah. life, your business, yeah. the whole nine. 100%. 100%. Yeah. yeah. It's worth it. Thank you, Justin. Really appreciate you joining us in studio here for Reinvention Radio. For Mary Goulet and Richie Ote, White Wade and Kelly Pelker, I'm Steve Olsher. We'll talk to you guys next time here on Reinvention Radio. Take care, everybody. You just got dismantled. Thanks for listening to Reinvention Radio. For more information about the show and your host, Steve Olsher, visit ReinventionRadio.com. 
Attention coaches, authors, speakers, and business owners. Please pay close attention to what I'm about to say if you want to secure massive visibility fast and generate thousands of highly qualified leads without spending a dime on advertising or marketing. The easiest way to make this happen is to appear as a guest on the world's most popular podcast. We recently came across an awesome resource that provides detailed contact information for 240 new media influencers who are looking for guests just like you. It's called the Ultimate Directory, and for a limited time, you can get the preview edition of the directory absolutely free. That's right, for free. It's time for you to get the visibility you and your business deserve and connect with the world's leading icons of influence who can make you famous with the push of a button. Get your free preview edition of the Ultimate Directory right now at www.myultimatedirectory.com. That's myultimatedirectory.com.